Want to get the edge in your Premier League betting predictions? Pinnacle delved deeper into the data behind all of the Premier League matches every single game week. We combine Pinnacle's sharp betting markets with the game's latest analytical metrics to help you find value in the odds. This is EPL Insights. It's game week two in the Premier League and we're back at it on EPL Insights. Uh, brought to you by Pinnacle, Gareth Wheeler, Jake Osgathorpe with you. Still standing after week one, no carnage to report an eventful first week in the Premier League, one that you're never really sure what you're going to get, but things turned out pretty well for both of us through the first week of the new campaign. Uh, Jake, how are you? Doing well? Very good. Yeah, thank you. It's um, It made all the better by making a profit on the opening weekend, which is, I always think, one of the most difficult, um, I, think, I think the first probably three, four weeks of the season are really tough to make a profit, and the last three, four weeks of the season are the toughest, because... At the start, you don't quite know where all teams are. You've not really got a good gauge in your managerial appointments, a lot of new transfers. And then at the end, you've got to try and measure, you know, does this team actually want to play? Do they want to win? Have they got anything to play for? And it's that kind of um, trying to understand the motivation factor and, and putting that into into consideration. So, yeah, it's always good to get a profit on a week, but uh, especially so when we've got such little information, really, to start the season. So... New for the podcast this season, if you're just joining us for the first time this campaign, we're doing things a little bit different. We're publishing what our picks are, and we're also keeping track of our betting units as well to give you an accurate sense of where we stand each and every week. Um, how'd you do last week? Your, your record and what it meant in terms of your, um, in, in terms of your units played and potential profit this week. Yeah, so I had seven bets, four wins and two pushes and just a one loss. But the way I which I did my stake in, in terms of the units, there was two bets that I really liked. Uh, well, there's three, actually. There was Liverpool, which was the push on the handicap. The, the, my favourite bet of the week was overs in the Brentford Spurs game. Uh, that was a two-unit play. Uh, and then unders in the Sheffield United-Crystal Palace game, which was a uh, yeah one-and-a-half-unit play. So overall, made a 4.1-unit profit uh, on the week, which is, you know, depending on wow. how, you, how you stake, if, if you're looking at £50 or $50 per unit, you know, you're a couple hundred, uh, couple hundred dollars in front. Um, if you go bigger, then obviously the profit is more. So, um, yeah. But uh, like, if you if you give me, you know, 25 game weeks in the in in the green and the other 13 in the red, I would snap your hand off right now. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations. Good start to the season for you. You, you didn't do too uh, bad yourself either, did you? I, I, I made un- just under a, um, a half unit profit for week one, which I'll take because it's week one. Four correct. Uh, Two wrong, one half loss, and two pushes. I made nine plays on the week. It started off, and I was just like, oh, come on. Because I bet the unders for City Burnley, and Erling Holland scores four minutes in. I'm like, here we go. And, and that game ended up being a push. The total was at three, so I ended up taking that. My, my only one that – my ones that got outright wrong, one I regret, one I don't, the, the, the Aston Villa um, playing against the handicap, uh, just a 5-1 loss. I, I, look. There was always a little bit of inherent risk in making that play. I didn't think it would go that pear shape for for Villa. Uh, and injuries have really played a role um, in terms of their uh, early season struggle. Um, and my other one is, you always come away after after the after the game week with that one game, that one play that you made, and you just got a little bit too aggressive, and you completely regret it. 
That's the case for my other loss of the week, uh, betting Brentford to beat Spurs. Because we're in the clear. We, we both bet the total over for Spurs-Brentford. It finished 2-2. The spread was at 2.75. But I got a little bit greedy there. Um, and I should have probably just waited to see what this Spurs team looked like. It, it just at the time of recording, it seemed like Harry Kane was going out the door. He wasn't fully out the door yet. And I was just wondering what that knock-on effect would be. So I was going to take my chances with Brentford at home. Other than that, you and I both nailed our best bet of the week. Uh, nailed on. United win to nil against Wolves. Nothing came easy that game uh, as well. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I was, I, I kept my fingers crossed and Brighton. Uh, I'm on the Brighton bandwagon fully and completely. We, we both came through um, Brighton minus 1.5 against the spread in that game as well. So overall a decent week and not too, too many surprises were there, Jake? Um, not, not particularly. No, there wasn't too many results that caught me massively off guard. Um, I guess the, the the biggest one is is Newcastle's demolition job on Aston Villa. But I think the, you know, that that was I, I don't know. If you're a Villa fan, you must have been banging your head against the wall when it got to three one, and you're still playing the same high line that's been catching you out all game, and nothing seemed to change. And yeah, it was it was a bad um, a bad afternoon's work for Villa. Um, I'm not too sure how much we can read into it though. Because I know I, I was quite hard on Newcastle anyway, so to see them win in such a dominant fashion wasn't a big surprise to me. But yeah, I think I think from a Villa perspective, we take this result with a bit of a pinch of salt because early loss of Tyro Mings um, unsettled things. It brought Pau Torres in; he perhaps wasn't ready. Um, so there may be a little bit of bounce back value on Villa over the next couple of weeks that people maybe I, look I, at that result and you know swing the lines. That was the immediate thing that came to mind for me. There might be some value there, but looking at the markets heading into this week against Everton, perhaps not so much, not quite yet. In a little bit. Um, the games that stood out for me, Chelsea was far better than I thought they'd be out of the gate with all the change. A very young side playing to a 1-1 draw against Liverpool. And after they settled down, after the first 30 minutes or so, I think Chelsea was the better team. And off the field, it's been a winning week for Chelsea as well. Caicedo, Lavia, it looks like Elise is going to get over the line as well. So Chelsea is a team that's jumping off the page for me. That it wasn't as high as most heading into the season, but there might be something there after all. At the Arsenal victory over Nottingham Forest, I thought Arsenal were okay. Um, I stated this in our season preview podcast. I think that fading Arsenal in these early stages is going to be the way that I'm going to go. I think the hype's a little bit too much. I don't think that they're as good as advertised. Their XG wasn't great in that game. They lose timber uh, for months now. Uh, which really will test some of their depth. The starter from game one uh, for, for Arteta, and now Timber's out long-term. So I think that in that way, I'm more convinced of my approach when it comes to Arsenal, even than I was ahead of the way the, the, the beginning of the season last week. I think that Arsenal's a decent fade play for the foreseeable. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, because I had actually... Um, obviously, looking at the XG data, the raw figures would suggest that they were fortunate to win, but... That's why uh, single game XG is is very much pinch of salt, kind of more descriptive than anything. Because you know that yes, they were fortunate to win the game. If you look at just the you know where they took the shots on the pitch, but if you flip it around on that day, they had a really good finishing day. You know they turned that 0.8 expected goals into nearly two post shot expected goals. You know obviously Saka's hit the top bin. There's a couple of other really good efforts that um, obviously that's not going to happen. 
every single week. That's the other thing that you have to factor in is that they're not going to have a, such a hot finishing week every single week. But games like that, it, it is descriptive in the sense that you can say they were probably a little bit fortunate to come away with a win, but it's a it's a pinch of salt in the sense of dig, if we dig a little bit deeper, we can learn the reason why they won is because they finished their chances at a supremely right. high level on that day. It, it just seemed like the way that that game played out, they just limped to the finish line at home last season at the Emirates. They were convincing. Days were yeah. much more straightforward than they were match number one, first game of the season. Something to keep in mind. The other, you know, big story of the weekend is all the added time. You know, first half, second half added time. But I'm not sure if it had a real factor in terms of match totals or more goals being scored. Only two goals were scored beyond the 90 last week. It was Harvey Barnes in the 5-1 for Newcastle. I mean, it was already an over, and it was only 90 plus one. The latest goal scored in the weekend, Ferguson for Brighton, and they were already over the total as well, and it was 90 plus five. So is this just something that we're going to have to wait and see how it plays out? Because week one, for all the complaints, in terms of the markets and, and, and what where your bets stand, there wasn't a big influence, was there? Not particularly, no. Um, I think it, you know there could have been potentially in terms of our Manchester United v Wolves pick. You know the Onana absolutely clatters Kalajic in you know added time. It probably should have been a penalty that would have potentially knocked um, you know the United win out of the equation. But other than that, yeah, it's just you know I, I personally like it. You know, I, it, I, I think that. Why, why shouldn't they? Why shouldn't they add the time on? You know, the fans pay the money. We, we all pay as TV subscriptions to watch the games. The last thing we want to see is three minutes of players celebrating in the corner flag where, and taking that off an actual game of football. So it, literally, it's probably not enough. You know, I was watching, I can't remember which game I was watching. Um, and I think it was three minutes at a time or, or maybe five minutes at a time. And I, 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 Hold on a minute. The ball's been out of play at least longer than this. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, just, just, just do a, a normal eight minutes every single half. Get it up there. Make sure we get our, our money's worth in terms of football. And um, yeah, I think the the we're still playing in the five sub rule as well. So the player like fatigue is you know it, it is it is an argument. I understand you know it's we're getting away from Premier League insights a little bit, but the football calendar is absolutely stacked. These players don't get a rest. But if you're looking at individual games an extra five, six minutes here when you've got extra subs anyway as to what we used to have um, shouldn't be too much of a difference. And I think it will come into, uh, it will start to affect things a little bit more. If you have, say, a favourite playing against an underdog and they're 1-1 going into added time and you get eight minutes, that's when you're probably going to see, you know, a couple of managers maybe complaining, oh, there's too much added time, you know, because Man City scored and it's, you know, but basically you give the better teams longer time to, to break you down and, that's where I think we're going to see it come into effect. And um, yeah, we, we didn't have any of that this last week, really. And there will be some sweaty under plays this year. And you know, <laughs> we like to bet in under, but you'll be sweating them out. Absolutely. It brings life to the overplay. Let's see. This week might be a little bit different. I'm, lo I'm looking at a lot of totals this week. And I'm leaning to the over in most cases. I'm yeah, hoping me, me that there might there there might be some uh, some influence with the added time here. Uh, anything else from last week that you noticed you want to address? You want to bring up before we turn our attention to this week's schedule? No, I was just, I was impressed with Wolves. Um, I thought they were they were probably the biggest surprise for me on the opening weekend. A rele relegation pick for me. 
Yeah, well, if they keep playing like that, I don't think they'll get relegated because they actually had a little bit of... Well, it was almost anti-Julian Lopetegui, wasn't it? It was, let's not sit back and defend. Let's actually take the game to Man United. So quite refreshing, actually. Um, and then, yeah, the, the the other ones, Fulham, still a little bit concerned about them. I know they won the game against Everton, but the way in which they defended in that game and the amount of chances they conceded, kind of just repeat of what happened last season. And then, yeah, Chelsea, you touched on them already. They looked really good. They looked really organised. They looked like a team. Um, and they've brought in Moses Caicedo. Uh, it looks like Lavi is going to join as well, and Michael Elise from Crystal Palace. So they're only going to get better, better, and, uh, and yeah, another team to keep on side, I think, throughout the campaign. Uh, so this week, only nine matches to be played. Luton Town, Burnley postponed. Kenil- Kenilworth Road is still undergoing renovations. They'll be good for after the international break. They need to update the media broadcast area. So only nine games to pick from this week. And I'm proud to say, Jake, it only took me one week to get there. Nine picks for nine games <laughs> for yours truly this week. That is some good step going. up and do the same. What are you, uh, how are you I, feeling about this? Yeah. Like I said to you Pressure's just before on. we started. Yeah. I had, I've got six bets from the nine games, um, but I did have three maybes in the others. So if we're on the similar <laughs> lines and you make a, and you make a decent enough case, I might join you in, uh, in, in those potential selections. But, um, I'm still at the case, like there's still quite a few teams. I just want to feel out at this moment in time. I don't really have a good handle on, um, Arsenal being one of them, which, you know, you've mentioned, um, just, just popped up on my newsfeed as well. Julian Timbers on his ACL. So he's out for a long time which is a huge blow. Um, you know, that's the last thing you want, isn't it? As a, as a what player. Were they, what were they doing? He got injured in the first half and then he came on to start the second half. It's, it know. didn't really make much sense to me, the way yeah. that it played out as well. Yeah, he's uh, he's requiring surgery. So um, I feel sorry for him. He, I always think it's hard. Like Tyron Mings is similar, ACL. Yeah. Knee surgery, and you know, you've as, as a player, you, you've done all that preseason training to get yourself in peak physical condition, um, and to go down the first game week is, yeah, devastating, really. So, wish him a, a speedy Dia. recovery, all of them. Bundia as well, yeah. First game, so yeah. yeah, it's 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 a tough one. Uh, so nine games this week. I, by the way, that's a great move that you just played here. I put the pressure on you to go out and make nine picks for nine games, and instead you turn the pressure on me. Now I have to convince you. <laughs> matches that you're sitting on the fence to go out and make a play. So well done. Well done by yeah. you. Uh, let's you don't get want to play it. poker with Perfect. me, Wheels. <laughs> uh, you don't I'll want to play poker you. with me, Jake. <laughs> Trust me on that one. Feature five, our rapid fire for the final four games will provide our value picks and our best bets of the week. So let's dig into it this week. Starting at Anfield, it's Liverpool and Bournemouth, the 3 p.m. match on Saturday. Liverpool played to a 1-1 draw against Chelsea last week at the bridge. Mo Salah just offside. Could have made it 2-0, and I don't think there was any coming back for Chelsea at that point. I still don't know. Like, the margin that he was offside was so thin. Um, and the goal-scoring streak in the first game of the season ends for Mo Salah, and Liverpool were second best from really that point on. A 1.3 XG in that game, 1.93 expected goals against. 13 shots. The disappointing part was just one shot was on target for Liverpool in that game. And it just gets worse in terms of what's happened off the field. No Caicedo, no Lavia. They could the team that they played last week. Uh, <laughs> last season was a, you know, for their struggles overall, 
Liverpool were great at Anfield, 13-5-1, 44 points was fourth best, 46 goals for was third most, 17 goals against, only United and Newcastle conceded fewer on the season. Bournemouth week one played to a 1-1 draw against West Ham. Solanke with the equalizer in the 82nd minute earned them a point, but they played really well. 63% possession. Uh, West Ham only completed 67% of passes in that game. And they edged out West Ham in terms of the XG 1.51 to 1.48, according to Understat. Uh, they had five away wins, Bournemouth last season. A couple really good results, but... 17 goals for, 43 goals against. 43 goals against was the second most conceded. Uh, Alex Scott has come in in the transfer window, but he's out relatively long-term with a knee injury. Kelly and Fredericks remain doubtful this week. Monitor that. Max Aaron stepped right in after moving over from Norwich City, and he played last week for Bournemouth. Head-to-head, over two and a half is played in nine of their last ten meetings. Last season, it was crazy because Bournemouth won 1-0 at home, but they got smashed in this fixture last season. 9-0. Thank you very much, Scott Parker. Um, So what do we make for this game? Liverpool, a win plays at minus 416 at present time. The draw, plus 601. Bournemouth, plus 1028. The Asian handicap, or the spread, I should say, is set at 2 you can get Liverpool on that at plus 107. The total is set at a whopping 3.5. Um, how do you see this one playing out, Jake? Um, I think this is going to be a very, very high-scoring match. I don't think we're going to get to nine goals like last season. <laughs> um, but, I, uh, yeah, I think this this could be quite an open game. You know, both sides looked like they were, you know, the, the, the capabilities to create plenty on, on the opening day weekend. Um, but defensive issues still there for, for both. I mean, you know, Chelsea created nearly two expected goals against Liverpool at Stamford Bridge. Um, Bournemouth, one and a half created, one and a half conceded against West Ham. Um, yeah, Liverpool's an interesting one because I like the way they set up that game against Chelsea with McAllister as the as a deep line six. Um and they were dominant for the first 30 minutes, you know, in and out of possession. It could have been two, it could have been three. Uh, and I'm with you. I think if Salah scores uh, or if Salah's goal stays, um, uh, is being allowed, then I think they would probably won that game quite handily. Maybe three, four, one, something like that. But it was kind of the boost that Chelsea needed yeah. to get back in the game. And then obviously the reverse happened where Chelsea were pressing, they scored, then they had a goal disallowed. And then it kind of leveled off again after that. So... Um, really, really interesting how that kind of affected things. But um, yeah, they, you know, as soon as that goal was disallowed, Chelsea were carving Liverpool open, similar to what happened to them last season, um, which just again probably stressed to Klopp, the board, the directors, whoever is in charge of transfers, that they do need a defensive midfielder. Um, you know, and, and I think the day after they went and bid 55 million for Lavia, um, I said, like, hold on. You just told us 110 million for Kai Sado. Come on, get it up a bit. Come on. Um, but he doesn't want to go to Liverpool anyway. Like who who wants to go to Liverpool nowadays? It's a really weird turn of events that they both want to cho- go Chelsea. Um, so, yeah, until they get that position fixed, I think that they're going to be in a lot of games where both teams score. And that is my selection. I'm going to go one and a half units on both teams to score, which is at minus 123. Um yeah, the, the Liverpool were brilliant at home last season, created an abundance of chances, nearly two and a half expected goals, four per game. 
but both teams scored in 53% of their home matches. Um, and it should have been more based on the, the chances that they conceded. So the fact that we've now got a Bournemouth team who are playing more front foot, they're playing more high press, and they have the capabilities to catch Liverpool out in terms of whether that's winning the ball high up the pitch, in terms of having the quality to play through Liverpool's lines when they do get the ball in the quick transitions, um, and obviously the quality to, to finish chances as well. I think Bournemouth will go to Anfield and get on the score sheet. Um, so, yeah, that's my first play. Uh, I like it a lot. I, I just think this Liverpool team at this moment in time are still very gettable from a defensive point of view. Uh, the exact same play. <laughs> Both teams to score at minus 123. Uh, for, for all the reasons that you cited, a little bit nervous because Liverpool are very good defensively playing at home, but I don't think that this team is very good defensively now. And they need to prove it to me. And I think this Bournemouth team, like you said, with, with the new manager, they can cause and create some havoc. They have better quality players in the team this year. There's some really interesting players that have come in as well. So that's my play. Not one and a half units, just one full unit. Both teams to score at minus 123. So don't yeah. really have much more to add nice. to that. So, no, it went well last week when we were on the same. So Exactly. I think we were undefeated on our yeah. mutually agreed upon uh, picks uh, last week. Uh, so let's just move things straight forward. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur and Manchester United, the 5.30 p.m. game on Saturday. Spurs back home. It's going to be very weird not seeing Harry Kane oh, lead yeah. the team out at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It still seems weird to me that he that he's with Bayern Munich. Like when he was in the car and in the hotel, it seemed like he was being held hostage to a certain <laughs> to a certain degree. Like this just doesn't seem like it fits his demeanor whatsoever. But they moved on yeah. and I think they played well. In the 2-2 draw at Brentford. Romero, Romero, Romero that is, and Royale, R&R, &R, uh, they scored the two goals, two defenders scoring for them with no more Harry Kane. Romero went off through injury as well. That was a weird one, whether it was a concussion or not. Is he in protocol? They filed the paperwork incorrectly. But that goal was the, the first goal of the game. It was critically important in that game. So it was a good first impression overall under Ange Postacoglu, um, especially after losing Kane, you know, just really the day before. They, they lost the XG battle 1.45 to 1.91 in that game, but there were some feel-good stories. Basuma play, played well in the midfield, really had an well, injury-riddled yeah. season last year. Uh, Vicario and Van de Ven, a lot of Vs there across the back line. I think players that will, will grow with experience need that experience, but didn't look entirely out of place. And they did it at 18 shots in that game and six on target. So 89% pass completion, by the way. So some good attacking football was played. Spurs at home last season, 12-1-6, fourth best expected goals against at 20.32, but ended up giving up 25. Uh, so Romero remains a doubt. Um, We'll see, because if he's in return to play protocol, he won't be able to play in this game on Saturday. For Manchester United, a struggle. Sometimes they don't ask how, they ask how many. <laughs> it was 1-0. Rafa Varane scored the second half goal for Manchester United. It, the talking point was penalty, no penalty. Onana laid on in stoppage time. He, it, really, over the course of the game, I mean, Onana was okay. Like He made a couple of decent saves, saves in that yeah. game. It's just the team played slow and slower. They weren't sharp. The midfield was completely overrun. The attacking players were ineffective. But the defenders, 
like they did at home last season were actually very good for this team. And somehow, according to Understat, they, they won the XG battle 1.97 to 1.72. The good news for United, despite not playing very well, they started last season with losses to Brighton and Brentford. At least they come away with the full three points in this game. Uh, eight, three and eight away from home last season. They weren't very good. 22 goals scored, 33 against. Head to head, United, no losses against Spurs in their last five. No Spurs clean sheet in 10. They've played to over the two and a half total in five of six. Both teams to scores played in seven of nine. Last season, the results. 2-2 at Spurs and a 2-0 Manchester United win at Old Trafford. In this one, you get Spurs to win it outright at plus 185. The draw at plus 279 on Pinnacle. Uh, Manchester United, an outright win at plus 142. The spread is at 0.25. United minus 0.25. And the total is set at three for this game. Do you have a pick? Do you have a play? Do you have a feel for this game here? Yeah, this is a. I found this one a little bit trickier than I was expecting to. Um, I was umming and ahhing really as to whether to go with over the line or under the line. Um, the lines, yeah. I could see this going either way. I mean, you, usually you get some sort of reaction from the first game. And I, and I don't think Ten Hag will have liked how his team played in that game against Wolves. I think he'll know that they were a little bit fortunate to perhaps come away with a point. They conceded too many chances. Onana probably had too many saves to make, especially given it was a home game. And um, and that's against a team that, well, not many of us thought had the attacking capabilities to cause a good team problems. So, um, you know, do will we see more of the same or will we see a little bit more of a re- reversion to, you know, let's be a little bit more difficult to beat? That's that's the kind of argument I'm having with myself as to are we are we going to see United rock up and try and out, outscore Spurs, which I think is absolutely possible because Spurs looks all over the place at times against Brentford? Or will we see a United team turn up and look to dominate with control as opposed to make it a high-scoring end-to-end game? Um, so, yeah, I, I had a real wrestle, and I still am actually, um, as you can tell. Um, I, yeah, I think this the, the, the kind of selling... The final kind of nail in the betting coffin for me was that this is a Postacoglu Spurs team and his ideals will not change whatsoever. You know, Ten Hogs might, I don't think I don't think Tottenham will. I don't think Tottenham will go into this game looking to be a little bit tighter, a bit more defensive minded. Um, and I think that could lead to goals at both ends. So I, I was going to take over three goals at plus 105. The line's actually moved a bit. It's now plus 103. Um, which suggests there's a bit of money coming for it as well, which is always a, a nice sign. Um, but yeah, it, you know, th- this Tottenham team are going to be thought of in a similar ilk, a similar mindset to Brighton in terms of the expansive attacking football and, and games featuring a lot of goals. Um, so yeah, as I said, the defensive issues at Tottenham remain the same. You know, they, they can't fix that overnight. You're bringing in Davinson Sanchez off the bench to, to replace Romero and, you know, he's an accident waiting to happen. Um, and then United as well with that new kind of, I guess, new system, if you like, with two eights and Casemiro a little bit isolated in the six. Um, gave up a lot of space and a lot of chances. So, yeah, I think this could be, if we see a similar calibre of defending from both teams, this could be wide open. It could be another, you know, it could be a 3-2 or a 4-3 kind of game because both have attacking firepower. Um, yeah, I, I, I ultimately, the fact that it is an Ange Postacoglu team has me going overs because, you know, 
it's just what he does. He, he's very unrelenting in the fact that he wants to play that aggressive attack minded style. Um, and you absolutely have to admire him for that. So, yeah, Andrew's at the party. Bring your goals. All right. I, I considered making that play. Are you betting a full unit on that? I'm a full unit on that one, yeah. What are you doing? One unit, okay. just the one. I considered yeah. it. Um, I One of the reasons why I'm playing Manchester United on the spread, the Asian handicap, at minus 0.25, it's a good number because it's plus 111 versus plus 142 for an outright win. I like the insurance of if the game ends in a draw, that it's only a half loss there. Um and I just look at that Spurs back line. If there's no Romero, even if there is Romero, Van de Ven, Royale, Sanchez, a young goalkeeper in Vicario. Like this isn't Wolves. I think Wolves always provide a difficult matchup for Manchester United because they're strong, they're big, they're aggressive in the midfield, and they're able to exploit those positions. Basuma's not that player that's going to be going through those driving runs, stretching Casemiro all over the pitch. Ollie Skip, is he going to do it? No, I don't think so. I think that this is just a much better matchup overall for Manchester United. And I'm comfortable with the way that they are defensively. Like, look, I think two of their best players on the field last game, well, three of them all played across the back line. Varane, Shaw, Juan Bissaka were all very good. The goalkeeper looks assured, although it could have very well been a penalty last week. I, I just think that this Manchester United team um, have more answers to many questions that still reside in this first side. It was a good start. I like their, their style of football, but I think they could open themselves up to a Manchester United counterattack. And we'll see if he makes any changes, brings Rashford back over the left. I think that would help a lot this week. So I think United will win outright, but I'll take that little bit of insurance. Still in a plus number at plus 111, United on the Asian handicap for this one. Any other thoughts or do you want to move on? No, no, we can move on. I was just, I was leaning towards United in the outright market if I was going to pick one, just because they've got a little bit more consistency, a little bit more quality, I think, across the pitch. But um, yeah, I'm I'm more than happy to take a, a plus number for a bit of goal action. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, can't wait for this one. 8 p.m. Saturday night. It's Manchester City and it's Newcastle. City uh, coming off a 3-0 victory. Holland ho-hum. Uh, a brace in his first game and got an earful for all of us <laughs> to enjoy from Pep Guardiola. Grandstanding. Uh, got to love it or hate it, depending on what side of the fence you stand on. Uh, Jake's favorite play, Rodri Goal. Came through again at Burnley at 2.4 XG. It was an easy game, straightforward game, really, for Man City. But the big news is Kevin De Bruyne out long-term. Hamstring, at least four months. This player had the most assists in the Premier League last season, and in terms of expected assists, was number two. Only Bruno Fernandes had more than Kevin De Bruyne last season. And he was injured part of last campaign as well. Um, they also play in the Super Cup on Wednesday. It's going to be happen after that we record this. Some other injury issues. Stones has an abductor issue. Diaz is in concussion protocol. Bernardo Silva is ill for that Super Cup, but we expect him to be back on the weekend and with a new contract in hand, by the way, which would be good news that they're going to keep a hold of Bernardo Silva. It looks like Laporte is on his way to Saudi Arabia, which opens the door for, oh yeah, 
Vardial to step in and play a bigger role in the team. 17-1-1 at home last season for Man City. 60 goals scored in those home matches, but they're only third best in XG. They scored 60 goals, but their XG on the season at home was just 46.18. Excellent defensive side at home last campaign as well. For Newcastle, a statement 5-1 victory out of the gate. Isak had a brace. Tenali scored the opening goal in his first Newcastle game. 17 shots. Again, this 13 of them were on target. And the 4.32 expected goals was second best on the opening weekend. I thought Gordon looked great. The midfield, Joe Linton, just continues to impress me. So a wonderful start to the season for Newcastle. There were 8-8-3 eight, eight and three away from home. 32 points, the third most away from home last campaign, and had the second-best expected goals against at 24.48. Head-to-head, City haven't lost to Newcastle the last nine times they played. Newcastle hasn't had a clean sheet in the last 16 times they played Man City. It's gone over two and a half and four of five, and City have scored first in nine of their last 10 meetings. The results last season, City won this fixture 2-0 at home, and they played to a thrilling 3-3 draw away at St. James's Park last campaign. Uh, this one a little bit more complex with the Super League game midweek. Uh, City's depth maybe not quite as deep as they were last season, but still... Their odds on to win this game at minus 153. The drop plus 320. A Newcastle victory at plus 432 at Pinnacle. The spread set at 0.75. Uh, City minus 0.75 at minus 121. And the total set at 2.75. A tricky one for me this game. Um, I do have a play. Although my confidence level somewhere near 70, 80%. I'm not sure about you on this one. Uh, yeah, this is one of the games that I'm um, um and ah around that I don't actually have a fixed play just yet. Um, one of the games you need to convince me, but it sounds like you need to convince yourself as well, 70%. What are you yeah, going for? I, I, I like the total. I, I like over 2.75 at minus 105. That, that's one thing I'm confident, even without De Bruyne, that this team has enough to produce goals. Grealish didn't play last week. Uh, they're playing. They decided to play Alvarez with Holland up top. Uh, Holland looks in a mood to start this season, doesn't he? I think Pep laying into him a little bit and getting sent off after his press conference. He said he'd never been sent off before. He's playing some games here out, out, out of the gate. I think Newcastle played safe at especially away from home last season. I'm not sure if this is a game that they're going to play safe. I think their midfield is a lot different. I think that they're made to run at teams and try to go to an attack much more. I didn't think their back line was particularly good against Aston Villa in that game, to be honest with you. I think both teams have the ability to, to, to score goals. Um, there were goals um, when these two teams played last season, and I think it will continue. You know, We'll see Vardy all stepping in. Is it going to be Ake and Akanji again? Like It's not the most dynamic or, or, or decisive center back pairing. I think they'll be tested like they weren't tested against Burnley. I think this game could very well be a 2-1, 3-1, 1-1, 2-2, something around it. So I think ballpark, I, I think it makes sense to make a play like this. Uh, if it hit three, I don't think I'd make the bet, Jake, but at 2.75 uh, minus 105, a decent enough number, I'll make that play. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that you're taking overs when it's the two best defensive teams from last season going head-to-head. I know. That's the um, that's my nagging doubt about there being that's goals. That's my little hesitation. 
yeah. Is it, yeah, Newcastle, obviously, well, Man City, no surprise that they're up there. But, yeah, Newcastle, I mean, the defensive like record last season was uh, like immense. Uh, and, and I think that they could, you know, they, they played a very high-pressing game, obviously, being at home in the opening game of the season. I don't... I, don't think they're going to do that this time around. I don't think they. I think they'll know that if they if they press City, they'll play through them. Um, and you know, I, I saw an interesting quirk about this Newcastle team last season that whenever they had um, more of the ball, they really struggled. So in the three-three draw against Man City, I think they had um, around 35 percent of the possession. Um, and then at the two-nil defeat at the Etihad, I think they had forty-eight percent of possession. So I wonder if something like that might happen again, where Pep almost sets his team up to be a little bit more counter-attack based rather than just, just because I don't know if I'd, I'd like to see it as well, whether this Newcastle team has the creativity on the ball to unlock defences. You know, we see them in transition. That most of the goals against Aston Villa came in transition with a quick break and they're in one-on-one pretty much because Villa are playing such a high line. Um, so it'd be really interesting if that game dynamic did appear where Newcastle, where City kind of stood off them a little bit and let Newcastle have the ball. See if they bring in Tonali. Gordon played on the left the other day. He was really good. Well, whether those players would have really enough creativity to unlock a defence, for them to pass through a defence rather than just in those quick transitions. So um, I, I would be leaning towards taking Newcastle on the handicap plus one which is at minus 126, but I'm not going to make an official play. Um, I'm still, I've still got a little bit of a watching brief around Newcastle um, and just generally just wary about Man City because, I mean, they could easily turn it on and win this game handsomely. I was just looking at, like, I don't think I've seen them this kind of big for, for a home match, you know, minus 153 to win at home. Like they're usually around the minus 200 when they're playing, a, you know, half decent team. So that shows that the market is respecting Newcastle and maybe factoring in the midweek match as well. But, you know, like I don't, it's City. Like they, they could easily just flick a switch. Um, that's, so yeah, I, that's I'm, what I think is going to happen. Brief. Like the, the, these games for Pep, like there's something more in it. I might have called it Super League. It's a Super Cup game, you know, foreshadowing potentially. <laughs> but like a, a game like this, um, I think matters a little bit more. I have a hard time betting an under. When Erling Holland looks like he did last game, he looks like he could score a goal every time he's on the ball. And yeah. I think he's going to be a handful. Newcastle did give up a lot of chances to Aston Villa. I know they were up in that game. I know the context might have suited it. They just, I'm just not sure that that back line is as good as they were last season. And with more better players in this team, I don't think it's like, a park the bus Newcastle away side like we saw when they went to the Emirates another play in Old Trafford last season. I just don't think that it's going to be the same approach this season. I hope they prove me wrong because I'm on the over in this game. <laughs> Full unit play. Let's go. Some goals to wrap things up on Saturday. Uh on Sunday, Aston Villa, can they rebound as they take on Everton who played well but the theme continues. Simply cannot find the back of the net. Villa torn apart 5-1. Tyrone Mings goes down. His knee injury just looked absolutely horrible. His Bondia a couple days earlier. So now Unai Emery's not only worried about his team, but they've stepped up their potential recruitment, adding players to the squad as they're playing European football. They have ambition in the league as well. So we'll see how that all plays out. I thought Diaby was good. Scored a goal. Um, on his Villa debut, but the high line backfired. 
They changed their formation as well. Um, gave up 4.32 expected goals against against Newcastle, but they did have 16 shots of their own. At home last season, despite the sputtering start under Stevie G, they were okay. 12-2-5 and five at home, 38 points at home, was sixth best, 33 goals scored, 21 against. Uh, Jacob Ramsey also remains out with a thigh injury. Everton simply couldn't score against Fulham. They fell 1-0. There was post bars, saves. It is actually miraculous that they didn't find the back of the net. 19 shots, nine were on target, and an XG of 2.59. Um, just two away wins last season for Everton. It was a struggle. And then the worst expected goals against in the Premier League away from home at 41.24. But they only conceded 30 away goals. So they conceded far more chances than goals that they actually gave up. Uh, McNeil still out. Calvert-Lewin, I guess this is good news for Everton, played 90 minutes behind closed doors in a friendly against Manchester United on Tuesday. They brought Jack Harrison in from Leeds, but he has a hip injury and he can't play quite yet. Head-to-head, four wins in a row for the Villa, no losses in eight to Everton. Villa scored first. Uh, in these meetings with, uh, with, with Everton, seven of their last eight times. The results last season, Villa, a 2-1 home victory and a 2-0, uh, nil, uh, away win as well. Um, look, the markets didn't respond as much as I thought that they were in terms, I thought Villa were going to be, there was going to be more value than there is. Still, Villa minus 144 to win. Outright on Pinnacle, plus 301 for the draw, plus 422 for an Everton victory. The handicap, and this is what surprised me, uh, 0.75 minus 112 for Villa to cover. The total set at two and a half. Another little bit of a tricky one based upon where the market stands for me. I think the Villa are the better side, but are you willing to take them to win against like a Deitch team away from home at minus 144? Or is there another play that you're looking at? Uh, yeah, this is another one I had down as a, as a no bet convince me kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think Villa will win. My only concern is that high line of theirs because I know Everton don't look like it, but they have got a few pacey players on the break now with Dan Juma and Damari Gray that could potentially, I know they've got to get on the ball, they probably don't have the quality in midfield as as Newcastle did to be able to release those players. Um, But that's still a massive concern for me. And um, yeah, I guess the only only positive is that Everton, they they just can't finish the dinner, can they? I mean, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he seems to be made out of biscuits. He can never stay fit. He's always breaking. Um, And Neil Morpé, he is probably one of the worst finishers in the Premier League based on expected goals. Um, He's the player that, that underperforms his XG on a regular basis. Um, great business by Brighton to get rid of him, really. Yeah, this was uh, another of those three games where I was forming an R and over a selection. A few intriguing tactical points that, um, yeah, that I was just a little bit wary of. Obviously, Villa's high line was a massive concern for me, anyway, on the way in which they were played through. Everton have players that could do similar in terms of Arnold Dejuma and uh, and Amari Gray, who could cause problems through the middle um, with that high line. The question mark is: Do Everton have the quality in midfield to to release them and, and put them in those positions? Um, I you know I, I think Everton's midfield is more functional than high quality in that regard in terms of being able to unlock passes. But um, 
yeah, the the, the omen and Aaron is just whether I take Villa or not on the handicap because I think Villa will win. I think they've got more, much more quality in their overall team. It's just a case of am I willing to pull the trigger or do I want to wait another week just to get another another game week under my belt of watching them and assessing them and seeing where they are. Um, yeah, minus three, 0.3, uh, 0.75 on the handicap, which means obviously half a play on just a win, half a play on win by, um, on, on minus one, which is money back if they win by one. I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to have a unit on that, I think. Um, just, just, just purely because of their home form under Emery last season, which was sensational. You know, they won nine of 13 after he took over. They took some scalps as well. Obviously, Manchester United being won. They beat Brighton as well at the back end of last season. Beat Spurs. Um, I think they finished with a run of six in a row at home. So it's clearly a place of comfort for them. Um, and yes, they've got injuries, but I think they've, you know, what the work they've done, the squad, means that they're going to have players to come slot straight in. You know, Pau Torres had a nightmare debut, but he's a player I do rate very highly from his time at Villarreal. I think he's going to be very good in this league. Obviously, you could also bring in Diego Carlos as well. Um, so in defence, they've got plenty of options. It's just tightening things up a little bit and making sure they don't get caught out because I think they'll create chances with those forward players they have. You know, that that um, midfield diamond and, and Diaby and Watkins up front. Yeah, that, that should be enough to cause Everton some issues. So, um, yeah, Villa minus three quarters at minus 112. I'm going to lock in a unit play on that. Sir Alex Ferguson would be proud of you because he thought that Villa played well despite losing 5-1. Yeah, um, I, I don't think I'd quite go that far that they played well. but they, they, <laughs> And, you know, it's one of those, you can't even say that the scoreline was a, a disjustice either because they conceded so many big chances. But I guess the point is they were competitive until about 3-1 and then it started getting a little bit out of hand. But, um, yeah, for the first hour... It was a very good game, a very close game between two good teams. And then, for whatever reason, Newcastle just went up a gear and Villa couldn't deal with them. I have a play I really like here. I'll keep it short and simple. Both teams to score, no, at minus 103, because I'm betting that Everton won't score in this game. That's it. That, that That's the play. Who's going to score for this team? I can't see Calvert-Lewin being able to play 90 minutes. You know, behind closed doors is one thing. Is he going to be able to start this game? Can he go 90? Probably not. Is he the answer? I don't know. So that's my bet. I'm just betting <laughs> Everton won't score in this game. Both teams to score, no. And if Deitch wants to, you know, park the bus in this game and just play defensive and make it a struggle for Villa, all the better for me. Both teams to score, no, minus 103. Done. Move yep. on to West Ham Chelsea. <laughs> no, no, uh, no problem for me there. Um, Jeff yeah, just can't score. I mean, Calvert Lewin can't keep fit. Morpé is probably the worst finisher in the league based on expected goals, just consistently underperforms. So, yeah, that, that's a massive issue for Everton, definitely moving forward. Full unit play there. Uh, the final match of our feature five, it's West Ham and Chelsea, 430 on Sunday. West Ham coming off a 1-1 draw at Bournemouth. Some good chances created. 16 shots, just couldn't hang on in the latter stages of that game. The XG battle is nearly even across the board. And this week, added two players could be good for them. We'll see. Edson Alvarez, James Ward-Prowse have both come into the picture. 
Last season at home, they were really mid-table across the board in points and goals, XG, XGA. They're just a mid-table side at home, which is okay. I mean, that, that was kind of what West Ham were last season, maybe even a little bit worse than that. For Chelsea, I, I was impressed in a 1-1 draw. 1.93 was the XG. They played against Liverpool at home. They grew into the game, got better as the game went on. I thought Enzo was great. Jackson looks a real threat up top. But they have lots of injuries in their in their team to begin the season, and it has to be at least a little bit of a concern that neither Reese James or Ben Chilwell couldn't finish out the full 90 minutes. Whether they're actually hurt, whether it was fatigue, the truth will play out this season. But when they're fit and on the field, both those players make this Chelsea team so much better. And off the field, Caicedo, Lavia, looks like Elise is coming in as well. So Mopo's moving this team in the right direction. Five wins and just 18 goals scored away from home last season. Let me repeat that. Chelsea away last season, just five wins and just 18 goals scored. Incredible. Head-to-head, Chelsea haven't lost to West Ham in their last three. West Ham no clean sheets in their last seven against Chelsea, and Chelsea being the first to score in six of their last seven meetings. Uh, They played to a 1-1 draw in this fixture last season. Chelsea with a home 2-1 victory last year. Um, Can Chelsea repeat what they did last week? Playing away from home, different context, I think West Ham's okay. A West Ham victory plus 309 to play on Pinnacle, plus 272 for the draw, minus 107 for a Chelsea away win. The spread is at 0.5 and the total set at 2.5. Uh, what's your play here, Jake? I'm going to take a punt on Chelsea to win at minus 107. Um, yeah, I was expecting a bit more of a reaction, to be honest, from the performance against Liverpool. I thought they'd be a little bit shorter. Uh, I'm really impressed with them. Just everything about them, really. The you know, the, Not only the underlying data, the fact that they won the XG battle, creating only two expected goals, but just, just how quickly they seem to have adapted to Pochettino's system, instructions, principles. Um, and, you know, and as you said, they've had another good week in the transfer market. I'd fully expect Caicedo to start this game alongside Enzo Fernandez, and before you know it you've got you know really really good looking central midfield pair there and um you know just reading up now Reese James is going to be fine he's going to be playing not an issue whatsoever uh he was taken off due to fatigue it says here last week just you know that, a little that, bit that's of, what they say he was kind of reaching for his foot though I I don't know what, what the truth yeah, actually it, is it, it, that's the hope yeah, that's the hope. Um, Pochettino said it's something that he was, uh, the first thing they did was arrived, assessed the fitness of all the players and he, he's been injured for three or four months. So the preseason was tough for him. So we didn't want to take any risks. That's what they said. So I'm hoping that that is the truth and that he plays because he is, um, you know, him and Chilwell are the, basically the two, I would say best players on that team, but they are the, the, the players that do make that team go uh, and go well. Chilwell was excellent last week. Um but yeah, I, I thought there would be a little bit more of a reaction. I expected them to be around minus 115. I think they might go off around minus 115. We've seen the line move a little bit. Um, last night it was minus 104. So we're recording this Wednesday. So Tuesday it was minus 104, now minus 107. So it's moving in in the direction of Chelsea getting shorter. Um, and I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, what West Ham, a couple of decent signings. Oh, 
how quickly they're going to bed in. I just think the, the quality gap between the two teams is going to be pretty evident on Sunday. Um, I don't think this, this is a Chelsea team that have got a nice mixture of a Tuchel and Potter now in the sense of Pochettino's team. They, they do dominate the football, but they play with a bit more purpose than Potter's team in terms of they get ball from back to front quickly, as in a Tuchel team. Um, so yeah, I think it's a lovely blend. And I think the players that he's got at his disposal are perfect for what he wants to do as well. They're very young, very active, very energetic, high pressing, a lot of lot of a lot of pace around the team as well. So um yeah, I'm I'm more than happy to take Chelsea to win this game. Um I was really impressed with them last week. I was probably gonna take a slight pro Chelsea stance anyway, depending no matter what the result was, um just because yeah. they're playing West Ham who I think um, you know, I don't think they're going to struggle massively this season, but I, I, again, I, I think they're a 10, 11th, 12th in terms of quality of uh, this, this league campaign. So, yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to put a unit on a Chelsea win. Uh, first game that we're looking at things in a different way. I thought, I thought West Ham created some really good chances against Bournemouth. It was choppy at times, but what I like about this West Ham team is that there's familiarity. They're bringing in Alvarez and Ward-Prowse, but their entire starting 11 and the three players that came off the bench for them last week are all players that have been there and, and played under David Moyes and was part of that, um, that, that, that conference league winning team last season. So there's still some familiarity there amongst this group. We'll, we'll see if Alvarez comes straight in, like Pakita, Suchek, you know, I'm, I'm, I think their central midfield can be pretty good in this game. And this Chelsea team, they're very young. Remember that. They're one of the youngest, if not the youngest team that that played last week. They're exceptionally inexperienced, and they're going to make mistakes. It's one thing playing at home against the Liverpool side that plays wide open from a defensive perspective. They're not going to get that against West Ham. I think it's going to be a difficult game. I think it's going to be close. <laughs> This is the type of game I can very well see ending in a draw. That's why West Ham on the handicap at plus 0.5 at minus 103 seems a good play for me. I just think it's going to be a difficult game. I don't think there's going to be very much between these two teams. Um, And we'll see what this Chelsea team's made of. I'm really curious how they're going to perform here. But I'll take the consistency of West Ham uh, on the handicap in this game. No problem making a full play on that. Okay, so a little bit of a head-to-head then. First one, I don't think we want to make this an official head-to-head, but no, okay. A little bit of sandpaper right now will lay the foundation for what's to come. Complete friction later on in the season <laughs> between you and I. Uh, we need to move this forward. Rapid fire time. Uh, it's Friday night football again. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, once again this week. Uh, it's Nottingham Forest and Sheffield United. Uh, both teams were under one expected goal last week. Uh, what do you make of this and do you have a play? Yeah, this is another strong fancy of mine. Is is just opposing goals again in a game featuring Sheffield United. Um yeah, as you said, both teams failed to create too many good chances. Uh, defensively, huge positives for Forrest in the sense that they limited Arsenal to just 0.84 expected goals. But again, as we touched on earlier, the f- quality finishing was the difference um, in that match. You know, Arsenal made the most of their chances big time in terms of upgrading that pre-shot XG to a really high post-shot XG. Um, yeah, the blades, very blunt. 
should have lost by a wider margin against Crystal Palace. Just 0.4 expected goals in that match. Um, and the goals in general are going to be tough to come by for United. We touched on it last week. They basically lost their, I think, three of their top five scorers from last season and one of the top assist makers. Um, you know, you take that out of any team, it's going to be a massive issue. Um, but yeah, Forest, they were excellent at home last season. I was leaning towards maybe taking Forest to win, but I can't be backing them at odds on. No matter who they're playing, I don't think they're good enough to be to 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 for me to trust them enough to take them at odds on. So I'm taking the under two point five goal bet again. Um, another line set uh, two point two five. I'm happy to take a, a shorter price on under two and a half, uh, which is minus one forty, and I'm going to go one and a half units on that one. Wow, one and a half units. Okay, um, I do like Forrest to win outright at minus 113. They had the 10th most points at home last season and had a positive goal differential for a team that was a nightmare playing away from home. It was a real difference difference maker playing at home. And I like their attackers. Honestly, I think they have something going up top and just in terms of the personnel and players that they can play. And the Sheffield United team looks a million miles off it. So give me Forrest to win this game outright at minus 113. Uh, let's move over. Saturday, I think this is going to be a great game as well. Wolves and Brighton. Do you have a play in this game? Yeah, Brighton are playing, aren't they? So it's overs, obviously. Um, over two and a half. Minus 121. Um, Wolves were actually pretty fun to watch Old Trafford. Um, more of the same, and there will be a lot of high-scoring matches involving Gary O'Neill's side. Um, Brighton just doing Brighton things in terms of racking up loads of chances, 4.4 XG, but also conceding nearly two expected goals to the team that everyone thinks is going to be the worst team in the league. So, um, yeah, I, I don't see a reason why changing tactic for this game um i'm a little bit disappointed that we didn't get a slightly bigger price um i've got to say i thought there'd be a little bit i'm still going to take it because i think still think it's value at minus 121 but i did think that given it was wolves that we would get a slightly bigger price um given the stigma around the old gold but over two and a half goals minus 121 it's brighton I, well, I, I locked it in, and I don't know if this is going to be official or it's at the time of record because I already made this bet on Tuesday, and I got Wolves-Brighton over 2.5 at minus 119. So I have a little bit more little bit more juice. I locked it in already. It's my favorite bet of the week. Uh, Brighton had the highest XG last week at 4.37. Um, Gary O'Neill, I, I thought they – you know, they played well against Manchester United. I think on another day they can score goals. Um, Brighton also had the second best away expected goals last season. And when these two teams have played, over two and a half has played in their five of their last six games. Last season, the two games, Brighton smashed Wolves 6-0 at home. And they played to a 3-2 game in an away win for Brighton at the Molyneux last season. So whenever they play, there seems to be goals. One of the many reasons I like the over in this game. Go on, Brighton. My sweethearts I'm continue to back them. Uh, but I like the total in this game rather than the results. Uh, Is that a, and was that a one-unit play or were you up in the units? One, all, my, all, all my plays this week are one unit, straight up. So... Uh, Fulham and Brentford, penultimate match of the week. Uh, do you have a play in this game as well? I'm looking at the total in this game as well. Yeah, I'm going over the total again um, in this one. Yeah, minus 104 
it looks a big price that does um I'm not quite sure why it's that big. Uh, I don't know. When I see a price that looks that far out to what I was expecting, I always have to question if there's anything that I've missed. But, you know, Fulham effectively picked up where they left off last season. They looked vulnerable defensively at Everton. Only Aston Villa conceded more expected goals against on opening weekend than Fulham. They were very fortunate to win. But in what is typically Fulham fashion, they created a fair few chances at the other end as well. So the XG was 2.6 to Everton, 1.6 for Fulham. So, yeah, you can just just by me reading that XG totals off, you can see that that game probably should have gone overs if anyone had their finishing boots on. Um, Last season, overall, the average 1.3 expected goals for per game, 1.9 against. So, again, very led towards the overs. 66% of their matches last season went over two and a half goals and 74% of the home matches went over two and a half goals. So just, just to turn that percentage into implied odds, you're looking at around minus 285 if you took that as a raw price. Um, Brentford obviously coming off the back of a 2-2 draw opening weekend. Chances either end as well. No reason why we shouldn't see the same, basically. Um, and just for a bit of icing on the top of the cake, both games between these teams last season finished 3-2. So they weren't short of goals. So... I'm going to go over two and a half. I'm going to make this a one and a half unit play. Um, yeah, that, that's exactly my play. It's my second favorite play of the week. Over two and a half and minus 104. They played to over the total of two and a half in four of their last five games. A one up you in terms of the two, three, two results last season. They also played in preseason. And guess what the score was? Three, two. <laughs> they played three two. I, I I know it's not a competitive game, but three two. Um, my simple math tells me that's five. And here we go. Uh, a Mitrovic bid looks like it's been accepted by Fulham, but it's more the way they play rather than the player that I'm looking at here. So an overplay for me as well. As we're back on the same page. I have a feeling that we won't be for the final game of the weekend, or I should say the week, because it's Monday night football. It's Crystal Palace and Arsenal. What's your play here? I don't have a play. The solo stage is all yours. Thank you. I'm fading (laughs) Arsenal. Give me Palace on the handicap. A full goal. Plus one. Strangely, Roy Hodgson only made one change last week. I I don't think there's a, a lot of depth. Elise might be going out. But he didn't play last week. He's just battling a little bit of an injury right now. Anyways, it's just this Roy Hodgson team, they still had a 2.28 XG last week. Uh, Consider the opponent fine, um, but I think they can be competitive against Arsenal. Arsenal just need to go and improve it to me. No Jesus, no Timber now. Like, let's let's see what this looks like playing away from home. Uh, They play to over, just mentioning this, in four of the last five times that they played. I'm not sure that that matters, but I think this Palace team – can play stubborn enough against Arsenal that they keep keep it manageable. Draw would be an excellent result. Give me the cushion of a plus one. Let's go. I said it from the outset. I'm fading Arsenal out of the gate. I'm staying true to my word. Palace plus one on the handicap with a full unit play. So nine plays, nine games, nine plays for me over the course of the week. And I think I convinced Jake to make a couple extra ones that you didn't originally just maybe weren't intent on making. Uh, what's your value play of the week and or your best bet? Um, my value play is definitely overs at Fulham Brentford. Um, I expected to see that line closer to the line of uh, of the Wolves Brighton around the 
yeah, minus 121 kind of line, not not what we've ended up getting at minus 104. So that's definitely my value play. My favourite play, uh, or my best bet, is probably the unders in the Forest game. Um, I'm, I'm more than happy to just completely fade goals involving Sheffield United for reasons outlined in terms of the lack of attacking firepower, but also the fact that you know it, they're not going to outscore anybody. So the only way to get results is to keep things tight defensively which I think will lead to more low-scoring matches. Yeah, uh, I like the Brighton over. I, I like the Fulham-Brentford over. Um, but my favorite pick, I'm just a sweetheart on this, uh, both teams have scored no Villa-Everton. Because I think that if I'm most sure about one thing this week, it's that Everton won't score. <laughs> Those may be famous last words, but I'm willing to make a wager on that. Yeah. Um, Cue the uh, Neil Mopai first minute opener. <laughs> yeah, the brace are like a wobie from like a mile. Like ever, like when they score goals, they're always something special. So, or, or your boy James Turkowski off a off a off a set piece. We'll, we'll see. Let's hope that doesn't play out, and Villa can keep a clean sheet there. Um, Available on our betting resources section of Pinnacle right now. Andrew Beasley's VAR influence on Premier League betting, VAR impact on red cards, penalties, and goals, all that good stuff. And Dr. Patrick May and the goal impact model analyzing the Serie A and Bundesliga betting markets as there's articles there as the new seasons begin across the continent this week. Good stuff, Jake. Uh, best of luck this week. I know we're aligned on a bunch of plays as well. And another four-day weekend of football where I realize how unproductive I am on weekends across the board. <laughs> Thank you very much, Premier League, for that. Any final words? No, best of luck. Um, you know, if, if we can land another week of profit, no matter how big, I will take it. At Gareth Wheeler, at Gareth.Wheeler on Instagram. He is at Jake Oz on Twitter as well. This has been EPL Insights for Game Week 2 in the Premier League.